0: Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your host, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson,
1: a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy.
2: And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher.
1: We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey.
2: Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve
0: independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started.
1: Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Hi. So, well, Sean is back <laughs> yes, with sorry us if you for your, this podcast. Uh, baby noises in the background. Well, for about okay. three
2: months postpartum, and but I'm excited to. Kind of jump back into things when i can
1: yay so today we wanted to talk about prolapse which we're really excited about talking about but maybe not the general population even knows that word
0: mm-hmm.
1: so one of you guys want to talk about what is prolapse
0: <laughs> yeah so it's an interesting word I should probably actually look up at the the origin you know the of what the breakdown of each part of prolapse is but essentially it's just the falling down or the decreased support of our organs in our pelvic region and it puts pressure into the vagina or into the rectum, and can cause difficulties um, for function throughout the day if you have it. So, it's
1: it's actually common, I think. But yeah, it's interesting when you look at the research for this. So, um, there's this thing we call incidence and prevalence, which is like how how common is it? And um, who, how many people have it at any one time? And who's getting it? So I loved what, what you said, Chrissy, that people with vaginas are more likely to have prolapse. <laughs> yeah,
0: because yeah, that could be anybody, right?
1: Yes. And what makes me giggle about it is it can be anybody. And um, they'll often attribute it just to, women who've had babies, but mm-hmm. more recent research demonstrates that it really, your risk factor is a vagina.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so new for myself who hasn't had children and has a rectocele from co- chronic constipation my entire life, like, yeah, it can happen to anybody.
1: Yeah, and so rectocele is the, the rectum dropping down and there's probably a lot of that out there because I think constipation is epidemic in the culture.
0: Yeah, Uh, I totally agree. And especially when like people don't understand what constipation is and, um, you know, it's kind of a joke, like, you know, running to the bathroom or taking, you know, 30 minutes on the toilet. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a problem. And there's things that we can do about it. Um, so if we can prevent it as much as we can, we can, but there are things that we can't, um, we can do our best to control that it, you know, most likely increases um, uh, symptoms when you have other um, factors going on too.
1: So that, I mean, this is a little sidetrack, but an interesting one about, you know, how constipation creates Um, uh, this dropping of the rectum, which we call rectocele, and that that some of the things that can cause that then are like that prolonged sitting on the toilet, straining.
2: um, Basically, I think of it too, like anything that increases downward pressure onto the pelvic floor. So like you're saying, it's like constipation, straining, like chronic coughing or COPD, yeah. um, giving birth is like so much pressure down on there. Then the recovery process of that, um, or like even just like chronic sitting for most of your life, it's like that pressure. Um, so anything you can think of that's d- increasing that pressure, prolong for a long um, for a prolonged yeah. period of time, and
1: um, you. Uh, and there the comment was also made um in in our outline for this uh, that about hernias and how they might um, be an equivalent to prolapse,
0: yeah, I think it is like people understand more what a hernia is or what diaces recti is um but prolapse seems to be a little bit more um uh vague and and because you can see a hernia more than you can see a prolapse sometimes. Um but if we think about when a hernia is then it's essentially you know the changes in the connective tissue and anytime there's an increase in intra pressure it bulges out, you know. Um and so I think it's pretty common. Yeah,
1: so this was um I was thinking about this that um I, I may be jumping a little, but the the abdominal hernia and the pelvic floor hernia are often related to fascial anatomy, the connective tissue and the connective tissue becoming overstretched. And um
2: I think it's like um like you're saying you're talking about the fascia um and I, it's sort of I think that's probably the main thing that's involved. I think historically we've thought a lot about prolapse with like in regards to pelvic floor strength um, but I think it's like that and the like the supporting fascia and your posture and your breathing, and I think that's why it's such a huge topic um. But yeah, I think getting into what what it means to have supporting structures and the fascial components of of prolapse is important.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's interesting too how like the the research that we all kind of gave each other to to read beforehand, how the prevalence is so like wide. Yeah, you know so the. The hard research like suggests only three people, 3% people, three of people have it. But then some other people are like, well, it's probably part of the reason why we have poor percentages, you know, compared to how many people get surgery every year about four prolapse. That actually might be around like 40 to 50% of people have prolapse. It's because of how we test it. You know, we test it supine. And we're asking people to bear down. But, however, they usually don't have problems when they're laying down. They have problems when they're standing. So we should actually be looking at and assessing prolapse in a standing position. And then having them, one, looking at it without doing anything. And then, two, when you bear down, like we might even see more happening. And so I think it's part of the problem why we have a read a very wide range of prevalence is because unfortunately we don't test it appropriately. Yeah. We test it like for the medical providers comfort, not for the actual it's best it. practice to see mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm.
1: You'll he- hear sometimes of providers who will actually test in standing. And so they're, you know, preparing uh, people to be asked to do that, you know, I'm, um, uh, because we might find that strange to go to the doctor and have them want to s- check, um, the pelvic floor and standing, but it's much more functional and you can, it's a cheap test. <laughs>
0: totally. Agree. Um,
1: there one study that was published in 2018, it was actually a web-based questionnaire and, um, they were looking for symptomatic pelvic or organ prolapse, and they had a rate of response of 52%. Um, there was a high prevalence of the symptomatic um, prolapse um, in the in the study. Just kind of blowing it out of the water that it's it's all uh, people who've had babies because they were um, this was of women who had not had babies, 25 to 64 years old. So 52% of them were having symptomatic wow. pelvic organ prolapse. So was that correct? Let me look at that. Um, I might be reading this wrong. No, that was the response rate, but the, the rate of um, symptoms was as high as 14%. Mm. Of those, so you—it's not just about having a baby. It is also about pooping. It's about um, any kind of lifting with poor body mechanics. And if we go back to the fascia, that's where we're going to have poor. Um, you know, we treat fascia like it's an inert s- structure, but it has a, a dynamic feature to it. There is potentially contractility to it. There's an architecture to it so that there has to be a balance from the front to the back. And uh, when that isn't there, then the s- structure starts to stretch or collapse. Um, and I might be jumping ahead too far, but it's the way my brain is working this morning. Um, that, uh, you know, I was saying both my parents at the end of life had continence problems. And it really drove it home for me, like, uh, when I get there, I do not want to have to suffer like that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my yoga teacher, her mother, um, who lived to 90, never had um, bladder problems, Vimla. We had this conversation. And Vimla made sure her mother did yoga every day, not the kind when not not rigorous yoga. She would use a lot of um, the restorative poses with her mom. And one in particular w- was where you sit on your heels and lay back down, right? So you're stretching the whole front of the body and that deep anterior fascial layer that runs along the front of the thighs into the pelvis through through the pelvic bowl, up through the front of the back, if you can imagine. And that's where a lot of those pelvic organs are anchored. And so for most of us who are, if you can even imagine yourself doing that position, you know, usually a lot of us develop tightness in that. And that pushes the organs forward and and, um, downward and is throwing off this balance in the the fascia of the pelvis and, and the abdomen.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I know we're going to come around to this that, you know, in our, in our clinic, we're like, uh, my, my position is, it's not a question of having surgery or therapy. You, you absolutely need therapy, no matter whether you have surgery or not, because, if these underlying issues aren't corrected it's just going to end up back in in the prolapse
0: yeah they always talk about the high failure rate of and i'm you know quote 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 you know around failure of prolapse repair surgeries and eventually we're going to talk about like why that happens and that unfortunately you know these studies are thinking about like one plus two equals three, whereas um, we understand that that's not the case. You know, and so, um, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. And I think something I wanted to point on to, um, going off of your, uh, um, about the survey that they did about, well, do you have these symptoms, and how many people have said yes. Um, I think what's super important about that is that symptom severity like does not equal the grade of the prolapse. So people could have a grade one prolapse, which they might have no clue that they even have one. And they could have these symptoms that are debilitating, and people can have a grade three, which means they can truly feel and see a prolapse, and that they their symptoms aren't that bad. so I think that's another thing too is symptoms don't equal the grade and that the grade you might not even know that you have a prolapse because the grade is so low. So um just talking about it more and understanding that there are there are some signs that are specific for prolapse but um if we don't ask that at any of our medical providers appointments then we don't even know that we have a problem going on.
1: Yeah. Well, so let's give the, the the list of what symptoms, what would people be experiencing that would be indicative of uh, a prolapse?
0: Sure. So there tends to be like a heaviness or a pressure in the pelvic floor region, sometimes abdominal region. Um, it could feel like there's something actually falling out of the vagina. Um, you could feel like you're sitting on a small ball um, if the prolapse is is touching the surface that you are sitting on mm-hmm. um, feeling or seeing a bulge um, or lump in or in your vagina or coming out of the vagina. You could have discomfort um, during sex. Um, you might not be able to empty your bladder or rectum fully. Um, sometimes meaning to urinate more often um, incontinence, and not being able to keep a tampon or a menstrual cup inside the vagina comfortably those are all pretty tall tale signs that there's some prolapse happening
1: yeah um i'd have to i guess there'd have to be research for this but just from my clinical experience that when um women tell me like first thing in the morning well there's some men who tell me too, like they got to go immediately.
2: Mm.
1: That to me is a, a sign of prolapse and, and yeah, and that they're that stress, having the stress incontinence with it. So if there's urinary leakage, there may be prolapse. And I think it's important to say this is common, but not normal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it could be interesting too. Like I've had patients who maybe in the realm of grading and surgery, maybe their bladder isn't again, quote unquote, that bad in regards to prolapse, but the urethra itself could be prolapsed. Um, And the urethra is more like um, when that fascial connection is not as great as it used to be. Maybe it's not as supported, um, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting concept too. So, Um, because I've had a couple patients, I've had two, which really isn't that many in the scheme of things. But, you know, they did PT first before surgery, and they gave it a great try. And um, they really worked on all the things that we talked about. And everything was great, except for like this one, like higher level activity. And at that point, it might be well, the urethra might be so uh unsupported that it just needs a little bit of help in order to get all of it working together and um sometimes you forget about how important just the structures around the urethra are in regards to incontinence and and um and prolapse
1: yeah and by doing physical therapy first though that those people are set up for a better surgical outcome oh absolutely um like we say that um, there are four causes of prolapse, uh, and one of them is surgically repaired, and that is the overstretch of the endopelvic fascia or those connective tissues supporting um, the bladder, rectum, and uterus. Um, the other three would be these internal pressures we've ref- we've um, alluded to. Um, and then our habits, Mm -hmm. our bladder habits, and, uh, and then also the mobility, stability of the hips, spine, and pelvis together and how those, so we can, um, talk about all those things and what people can do for them and why they're important, Mm -hmm. uh, Let's see. So, boy, where do we want to jump in on that? There's yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. and I guess we can like kind of jump back into what are some other things that increases the risk of prolapse? Um, some of it is like weakness. It doesn't have to be pelvic floor weakness. It could be anywhere our hip, like you just said, like the hip lumbar, pelvic, complex all needs to be working well Mm -hmm. so it could be um, improving the strength of our muscles um, connective tissue changes so we've so we've talked a lot about like there could be a physical change meaning the stretch from childbirth Um, it could be um, any type of injury that is not considered childbirth um there could be hormonal changes so like women who are breastfeeding or menopausal women um can have increased in prolapse, prolapse risk um if you have a hypermobility uh diagnosis like Ehlers-Danlos or something like that can also increase that risk and then i guess we can break down behaviors a little bit more specifically Um, like what, besides, um, like, like we talked about constipation, right. And we talked about like straining, um, what other behaviors have you seen that might increase the risk or severity of a prolapse? Oh, um,
1: holding urine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I learned so much from my own experience. So um I I did everything to cause a prolapse leading up to learning about and then I became a pelvic floor physical therapist and I going to the classes. So one of the first things they did in the classes was have us fill out a bladder diary. So in a bladder diary, you're writing down when you're urinating and if there's leakage, what's happening. Um so I had all this set up, including I was so proud that I could go like eight hours a day without emptying my bladder. I used to joke, I had a bladder of steel. I was, you know, and I didn't realize that is not what you want. What you're doing is overfilling the bladder and you're stretching out the support structures. And, um, so by the time I was learning this stuff, I was having stress incontinence and, um, so what you do want to do is being emptying every two to four hours. When I started following that guideline and go, I would have to like make myself go to the bathroom at four hours because I wouldn't feel like it. But an overstretched bladder, it loses its, its uh, good strength and uh, responsiveness. You know, like if you can sit on the toilet and start a stream and have it be a nice, strong stream, you know, your bladder is doing well. It's got a good responsiveness. And that's what we're looking for. Um, so that emptying every two to four hours is awesome. And in the process of my applying all these things I learned, it was about two years of applying it to get to the point where then I was not having incontinence. So you can reverse this stuff.
0: And I think another um, common a habit regarding holding is that you're also gripping your abdomen all Mm. the lot. And then I, so I like to use as an example of like, think you have a tube, a tube of toothpaste. And if you're gripping in the middle of your abdomen, the contents of the tube have to go up and down. Right. And the up is like going up into your diaphragm and the down is going, pushing down into the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so gripping your abdomen and holding things in like holding your urine in, um, could also be inadvertently promoting that prolapse too.
1: Yeah. And you know, this is, you know, you mentioned weakness and I, I, this is a good discussion because I feel like coordination of muscles is so important. Mm -hmm. And, um, That's not just about strength or weakness Uh, that like I, one of the mistakes I was making was when I pulled in my abdomen, I pulled in above the belly button and the lower abdomen would push out and down habitually. And you know, that how does one use your abdominal wall effectively to not increase pressure into the pelvic floor? And I think, uh, um, people with vaginas who want to do weight training need to understand this dynamic so that because that is something that can lead to prolapse.
2: Uh, yeah, I just want to comment that I see that so much. I think in over half of the patients that we see just in general, even if they're not even here for prolapse, it's they get that pulling in of the abdomen, but the bulging out, like pulling in of the upper and middle abdomen and bulging out of the lower abdomen. And I don't know why it's kind of a, it's just so, so common. part of me thinks it's due to like your posture over time and also our um, breathing habits are like breath with movement habits have been, um, are just not as functional as they could be.
1: Well, and Chrissy, and you have the experience with, with weightlifting, um, that we've, we've talked about it. You do at times need to, it's not about sucking in either.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, because, um, there's like a, an idea in the lifting world about. Um, using our breath and our core stabilization like a Coke can. So instead of bringing the belly button to the spine, then we really want more like a cylinder um, where we're able to press against our abdominal wall in 360 degrees. Um, And I used to be like a very big um, proponent of that. But I've also noticed like as I've gone through this, a lot of people don't know what that means like i'll explain it in so many different ways and they're still bulging their tissues and how i like to assess if they are doing if anyone is doing a core stabilization appropriately along with seeing like what, they're ab- what their um, abdomen's doing or their belly button's doing, because the direction of the belly button can let us know like what direction they're going in. But also during the initial internal exam, I have them do a core stabilization to see are they bulging their tissues or is there no co-contraction of the pelvic floor or is mm-hmm. there no co-contraction of the pelvic floor. And then I usually use that as a cue for them to figure out what works best for them. So it's more of a let's see what clicks in your brain the most and what coordinates for you the most, mm-hmm. um, and we'll work off of that instead of what I think is appropriate, right? Um, so it's it's difficult. It's it's been difficult to teach the whole bracing in the weightlifting world um, because it it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really hard way to to figure that out.
1: Yeah. Um and that's where I I think our challenge comes in therapy is teaching coordination because it does take a uh, a higher level of sensitivity to what's happening in your body and most uh most people aren't aren't that aware of their body. You know, they're they're on the skin level or but that inner sensation is a it can be developed
2: i'm working with people sometimes we just say forget about that and like let's learn proper body mechanics Um, and then your core should well might engage correctly if you're lifting with you know sticking your butt out using your legs and like exhaling as you lift then it's sometimes your core just automatically engages in the correct way um, versus if you're like doing a lift um, in not good form and then trying to brace your abdomen, um, then like that creates its own dysfunction. So sometimes I work with like, okay, how do you, let's start with how, how do you breathe? How do you use your diaphragm, mm-hmm. um, which works together with the whole core? And then, and then, yeah, what is the posture of your body while you're doing functional activities? And then notice what your core is doing. And then we work on like core strength and um, go from there.
1: So this is a great example of where it is important to work with with a PT, a, a pelvic health PT, to understand these things and figure them out for your own body. Um, that another area is uh, that can lead to this problem is swelling in the abdomen, subtle swelling in the abdomen, which is so underappreciated that it can be there. I think anyone who's had ab- abdominal surgeries is likely to have a low lo- level of swelling. And um, that's going to c- inhibit. It's going to inhibit muscle. It's going to increase pressure and, uh, in- and intra-abdominal pressures. And it's pretty much neglected. I I've seen like very thin underweight women and they'll have abdominal, I call it abdominal congestion just uh, because I don't know what else to call it. And it, I'm sure that medical providers don't recognize it because the people are so thin. Um, But it contributes to their, their bulging patterns. Um, So having uh, a pelvic health PT who is aware and looking at that sort of thing and then can help a person know how to, to change that situation so that there is less abdominal swelling and how to recover from that.
0: Um, yeah. And there, and I think a big part of that could be garment wearing um, like people So there's a thing that you can use called a pessary, which is kind of like an orthotic for your organs, just to kind of hold things up. But people find that super uncomfortable. It can be time consuming to try to find the right fit. You have to go to your gynecologist's office often to like find the right fit. Um, It might be uncomfortable. Um, You have to be okay with taking it in and out of yourself, like... And all of that, sometimes people just are like, I don't want to do that. So wearing compression garments not only can help with swelling, but can also help kind of keep things supported without um, needing a pessary or um, also just kind of help with activation. Like your body's like compressed a little bit. So then your body's like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be like engaging when I need to engage. So Um, I know kind of jumping ahead there, but it's interesting how you can use compression garments, both for swelling, but also for organ support if you need to. Yeah.
1: No, I, there's a lot of nice compression out there. Uh, One of them that comes to mind is CWX. It's a sport compression. Uh, But the way that they have panels in the compression sort of helps wake up muscle action too the one thing i that as far as if we're talking swelling cwx does have a waistband and those waistband pressures tend to contribute to the you know pull in and above the waist push down below the waist so um finding the the right ones are the deal um we also have um let's see i can speak to hysterectomy as a, um, what, you know, one a part of the pathophysiology because I've had my ovaries out. And so I had the, I, I had the problem of prolapse and stress incontinence. I've, I learned what I learned as a PT, things got better. And then I had a ovarian cyst. So there go the ovaries. And I started all over again. So when they are doing surgical maneuvering in your pelvis, it changes that architecture again. And the support isn't there, that fascial support isn't there, and um, things can drop again. So I did apply what I learned again, and it's it took about – three years to recover that time. And I still have to work with it, but it, it has greatly improved. And the fact of the matter is surgery is going to change our body and we're going to have to work with our bodies, whether it's surgery or aging or whatever, you, you can work with your body to get um, a good outcome. Um, even childbirth like the effects of childbirth over the decades will improve so but especially if you're using good dynamics but these things they they don't change quickly and that's okay that's a normal process that they take they can take a longer time to get better it's that we're applying our skills appropriately that I'm doing my best job to do what I call an internal lift, you know, to raise the, the diaphragm of the pelvis upward in a contraction rather than squeezing and pushing. Um, and recognizing when I'm not doing that, when the lift is too heavy or I've been doing it for too long and I need to give my body a rest. Um, and then there's also like a uh, high BMI. So does obesity yeah. increase prolapse?
2: It can. It's, yeah. It's one of the risk factors in the research, um, because of the increased abdominal pressure downward on the pelvic floor, it seems like, mm-hmm. and probably too, like with obesity, I think that increases the congestion and swelling in the tissues that you were talking mm-hmm. about,
1: as well so we're, we're kind of hinting at what P can do PT can do for this um, we've, and we have talked about garment fitting and swelling management and pessaries um, and some some behavioral changes and exercise modifications um, uh, bowel and bladder habit um, we hinted at <clears throat> but you know, if you are not having a daily bowel movement that slips out with ease and looks like toothpaste coming out of the toothpaste tube, you should work with your PT to get, get that going.
0: Yeah, I think something else, um, and we're kind of like jumping at here, I guess, too, but which is totally fine. Um, I've had, I think the number one thing recently that people have like, if I don't do this, like it kind of going back to Sarah, like, like, am I lifting too much? Am I going too hard for too long? And that could be like during your day too. It doesn't have to be like in the gym mhm, doing the like pelvic organ decompression and, um, putting your legs up like, a, you know, so gravity can help offload the pelvis, um, and using some breathing techniques to help lift the the pelvic floor and the organs in general. Like, I've had patients who are like, if I don't do this, like, I feel it all day. Um, so it does, you know, relate to how um, rest and appropriate rest and appropriate mindful rest um, can improve prolapse as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think of my my teacher of yoga and her mother, you know, yoga is also about, um, especially the restorative poses <clears throat> are going to activate the nervous system in a way to create calmness and um, stress response, fight or flight response can increase um, you'll, you'll just, that the people will get, I talk about the belly goes poof, that where there's just an immediate increase in swelling in the abdomen. Well, people will feel bloated and, and when they've exceeded their, their sort of nervous system capacity, I say, and that's one of, that's one of the things then that can contribute to downward pressures on the pelvic floor and difficulty using good, uh, core mechanics um, and that fight or flight response can be triggered by just plain do, exceeding your capacity
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, recognizing what our capacities are from day to day. They're, they're going to vary based on a lot of factors.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: yeah even the weather. Uh, yeah. We were talking about it's January and it's dark and it's cold. And I, I do a little bit less this time of year. Yep. So, not for Sure. Yeah. Um, and so we're not opposed to surgery as an option. Like, like, as you said, Chrissy, you're, um, your patients then went on to have surgery and I, I'm hoping they had a good outcome. I did you follow up?
0: Yeah. There? Yeah. They did have good outcomes. And I think to their, what the intervention was, was a lot less aggressive than if they didn't do PT first. Um, because maybe there was less things to quote unquote fix, you know, Um in that they only had to do this specific uh connective tissue work that needed to be done. So um I've also noticed too and I and I don't know what the inclusion criteria is for surgery versus PT. Um but sometimes I feel like okay so why did this when when we have like referrals from people who do those surgeries, it's like Okay, so this person you sent for PT first, but this one you decided to do surgery first, and has that surgeon figured out what's um, has he has that person done any and with their own clientele? Is there a difference between? pt only versus pt then surgery versus surgery and then you have to go to pt anyway because things aren't 100 percent quite there and i know i have a bias because unfortunately the more people we see are the ones who had surgery and then continue to have problems or they have new problems so my bias is significant there
2: yeah
0: um, but it i would love to like talk to the surgeon in our area who are doing uh, prolapse repairs and and anything else that that entails and to see what their outcomes are depending on what's in their office which i think would be interesting
1: and you know some of their decision making may be influenced by a patient who says i don't want to go to physical therapy <laughs> and or the insurance benefits like feel Or a lack of them. So yeah, and
0: that's true too. Like, and it's a good reminder for me because again, like I said, my bias is is there, and and I'm well aware of my bias. And there are other factors besides um, surgeon choice. It's like you just said, our healthcare system um, depends on how that how that patient fits into the healthcare system and which can be so different.
1: One of the things that we're seeing that, you know, uh, one of the surgical repairs is to use sling. And of course, from years past, the mesh that they use to create slings has, has now become a problem in its own, own right. And kind of illustrating, no one should take, surgical pathway lightly. It's major surgery. And these repairs in order in order for them to work, I hope to those, hope to goodness that those who are listening will spend time with a physical therapist to correct any of the things that they can do within their behaviors and habits and, and exercise prior to going to surgery so that they can get the best outcome. For those, I think that's a big message for us. um, I think, like, if we would look back at this discussion we just had, what is there anything that we wanted to say that wasn't said? I think one of them is um, that for me, is that the hips, spine, and pelvis work together. I, I mentioned that, but I really look for exercise that is addressing those all together not separately um Mm -hmm. it's and the the my prime example is a resting deep squat um whether it's supported or or free that if you can't do a resting squat that right there is a risk factor for dysfunction in the pelvic floor
0: and i also think if you do have a prolapse like a supported deep squat and or knees to chest laying on your back is probably going to be the best way to start into that motion into that movement um cuz a deep squat depending on how you're doing it can definitely take away some of the support in the pelvic floor um so know that A deep squat is great for so many things. Um, However, if you are symptomatic during a movement, we just need to modify. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't mean that it's wrong. We just have to modify so that it's not as symptomatic as you are experiencing it.
1: Yeah. I think the resting deep squat is the test. And if you can't do it, then you would either do it laying on your back or sitting on a step you know, having back support, some position that doesn't feel a strain. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So is there any, as we look back at this topic, anything that you felt like it was so important to say about this?
0: <clears throat> I think we definitely talked all about the different nuances of it and how, um, what the symptoms are, why it could be happening, understanding you have options it's not just the connective tissue that there's more than that going on um that is promoting prolapse unfortunately that's why there's such a high uh you know what they consider to be a failure rate for prolapse repairs um but i also think if you can take any way for anything out of this discussion is that there are options and that uh that there's so much that can help. And and also, I think, talking about prolapse, like even at an early age would be a good. Um, talking about how, you know, because we talked about how you don't have to have a baby to have a prolapse. And you um, can also have a prolapse but not know it. Because you can't see it, but you might have these symptoms, so I think it's finding out if you have things early so that we can prevent the worsening of it as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah,
0: um, is important.
1: Again, it's one of those things that what we do as a young person is going to set us up for later in life, and yeah. so like something as basic as using a vaginal a menstrual cup and how you take it out. Yeah, that's right? huge. Yeah. So, because if I if I don't break the seal, I'm going to be creating a suction and constantly pulling down on those organs, and yep. that's going to create the prolapse. Well, Shona had had to go put the baby down for a nap, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so um, if she has something to add, we can put it in the notes. <laughs> We can definitely okay. do that. Just kind of get on with the day, but all right. All right, thank Perfect. you.
0: Thank you. Okay, we'll see you later. Right. Sounds good, you too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions P-L-L-C. That P-L-L-C is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.